booster for your morning. All the news you need to know. It's the WABC Early News on 77 WABC. Good morning. Welcome to 77 WABC's Early News. I'm a different Frank, Frank Diaz, and for uh, now the lovely Frank Morano. Let's uh, get to your top five at five. This is the top five at five. Well, Mayor-elect Eric Adams has tapped Nassau County Chief of Detectives Keychant Sewell as the first female police commissioner of the NYPD, a stunning close-to-home pick from a field of seasoned top women cops across the country. Sewell's nomination comes at a crossroads in New York City over a sharp rise in street violence and years of anti-cop reforms. The New York's top ethics panel on Tuesday ordered disgraced ex-governor Andrew Cuomo to pay the state $5.1 million in book profits he made on the backs of taxpayers amid the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping will hold a virtual summit today following separate sit-downs with President Biden in recent weeks. According to the Kremlin, the two leaders will discuss ongoing tensions in Eastern Europe amid a massive buildup of Russian forces along its border with the Ukraine. A U.N. report reveals that the Taliban have beheaded or hanged dozens of prisoners and publicly displayed their bodies in an extrajudicial killings. The report said that the militant group has also been recruiting child soldiers and has been quashing women's rights since taking power in Afghanistan in August. O.J. Simpson is now a free man, a Nevada State Police spokeswoman says the 74-year-old former football hero and actor was granted good behavior credits and discharged from parole effective December 1st. Now to the full story. Mayor-elect Mayor Eric Adams has tapped Nassau County Chief of Detectives Keechan Sewell as the first female police commissioner of the NYPD. Sewell's nomination comes at a crossroads in New York City over a sharp rise in street violence and years of anti-cop reforms. Here's Sewell describing her experiences as an officer being promoted to Nassau, County's PD, Nassau County PD's Chief of Detectives last year. It makes me feel wonderful as an officer. Um, Again, I, I think the word that just keeps coming back to me is humbling. As I went through the process of applicant investigation and saw the tradition and the richness and the, the level of commitment to this department, I, I, I had to join. And when I did, it, it was absolutely the best decision. I firmly believe that there is nothing that we can't do. There's no ceiling we can't shatter. There's no door we can't kick open. I truly believe that if seeing what I've been able to accomplish translates to inspiration for anyone else, then that's all I could ever ask for. Well, Sewell will be the first woman to take charge of the department in its 176 years. According to the New York Post, the surprise choice of the 49-year-old from Long Island, who has led just 351 uniformed officers for the past 15 months, was a, quote, gut choice for Adams. So as to say, he had favored her for months since the hunt began for the next leader of the largest police force in the country with more than 52,000 members. Well, New York's top ethics panel on Tuesday ordered a disgraced governor... Ex-Governor Andrew Cuomo to pay the state back $5.1 million in his book profits he made during the COVID-19 pandemic. The extraordinary resolution was approved by the Joint Commission on Public Ethics in a 12-to-1 vote, a month after the ethics agency voted to revoke its prior approval, allowing Cuomo to earn outside income from his book, quote, American Crisis Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic, while he was still governor and New York was in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak. We will make mistakes in life. We try not to, but we do. The key is to be strong and secure enough to admit your mistakes and admit your shortcomings. Don't get defensive. Denying the mistake only assures repeating the mistake. We've made mistakes during COVID. I wrote a book on the lessons to be learned from the COVID crisis. The lone dissenter was William Fisher, a Cuomo appointee. Jacob rescinded its approval after concluding that Cuomo violated pledges not to use state resources or government staffers to prepare the book. He must pay back the money to the state by next month. The resolution drafted by Commissioner David McNamara, a Senate Republican appointee, said Cuomo now, quote, lacked the legal authority to engage in outside activity and receive compensation in regard to the book since Jacob rescinded the approval. Well, Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping will hold a virtual summit today following separate sit-downs with President Biden in recent weeks. According to the Kremlin, the two leaders will discuss ongoing tensions in Eastern Europe amid a massive buildup of Russian forces along its border with the Ukraine. Both Moscow and Beijing have come to blows with Washington in recent weeks. While the Ukraine issue dominated a virtual meeting between Biden and Putin last week, the U.S. and China have exchanged sharp words on topics including Beijing's territorial claims in the South China Sea and the status of Taiwan, with the Chinese government warning of a face-off over the issue in October. 
During last week's virtual meeting, Biden told Putin that any further incursion into Ukraine would be met with, quote, strong economic measures from the U.S. and its European allies, emphasizing that Washington is prepared to take steps now that it did not take in 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea. Well, a U.N. report reveals that the Taliban have beheaded or hanged dozens of prisoners and publicly displayed their bodies in extrajudicial killings. The report said the militant group has also been recruiting child soldiers and has been quashing women's rights since taking power in Afghanistan in August. The U.N. added that more than 100 former Afghan national security forces and others have been killed since the takeover. The U.N. Deputy High Commissioner for Human Rights said that in addition, at least 50 suspected members of the Islamic State Khorasan province, an ideological foe to the Taliban were killed by hanging and beheading. At least eight Afghan activists and two journalists have been killed since August, while the U.N. has also documented 59 unlawful detentions and threats to their ranks. Well, O.J. Simpson is now a free man in Nevada. The state police spokeswoman says a 74-year-old former football hero and actor was granted good behavior credits and discharged from parole on December 1st. Simpson declined an immediate interview. His attorney declined to talk about Simpson's future plans, including whether he intends to remain in Nevada. Here's Simpson's at a parole hearing earlier this year. There'll be no problem, you know, and I, I think I kept my word. Uh, I, as I said, I've done my time. I, I'd just like to get back to my family and friends, and believe it or not, I do have some real friends. Simpson told parole officers before his October 1st, 2017 release that he'd planned to move to Florida. He instead moved to a gated community in Vegas where he plays golf and frequently takes to Twitter to offer opinions about college and pro sports, especially football. All right, now for some weather. Today, a 20% chance of showers after 4. Increasing clouds with a high near 53. Wind to the east, 6 to 10 miles an hour before becoming southeast in the afternoon. Tonight, a 40% chance of showers mainly before midnight. Cloudy with a low around 50. Southeast winds 7 to 10 miles per hour becoming southwest after midnight. Thursday, mostly cloudy with a high near 63. Southwest winds to 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts as high as 26 miles per hour. So it sounds a little bit windy. Thursday night, a slight chance of showers between 10 and 2. So make sure you have an umbrella. Mostly cloudy with a low of 52. Southwest wind around 10 miles per hour with a gust as high as 20 chance of rain is about 20 percent friday mostly sunny with a high near 60 winds about 7 to 10 miles per hour headed to the west well former white house chief of staff mark meadows has now become the second trump insider to be referred to the justice department for criminal contempt of congress the full house vote came after the house select committee unanimously unanimously voted in favor monday upholding Meadows in contempt of Congress for failing to appear for a deposition with the select committee. Now it's up to the Justice Department to decide if it will pursue criminal charges against ex-President Trump's former chief of staff. Despite the outcome, Meadows, on an appearance on Newsmax, was emotional, saying he was grateful for his colleagues supporting him. The legal argument on our side is strong, and yet this is these are political times, and, and candidly, uh, I just am very thankful for the millions of Americans across the country that have talked to me about their prayers and their support uh, and my colleagues on the House floor fighting. Uh, it, is, it is extremely humbling and touching. Well, Meadows has consistently insisted that he wants to shield some of his conversations with the former president under claims of executive privilege, but has already handed over thousands of documents, which the panel says only adds to the need for him to testify. The House voted to refer a contempt of Congress against former White House advisor Steve Bannon in late October. Bannon was indicted by the Justice Department a month later and pleaded not guilty. Well, the Senate voted Tuesday afternoon to raise the debt ceiling by $2.5 trillion a day before Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that the U.S. could go into a default. Only Democrats voted in favor of the hike, with the final vote standing at 50 to 49, with one Republican abstaining. That meant there was no need for Vice President Kamala Harris to break the tie. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said on the floor Tuesday morning that the hike would allow the U.S. to borrow enough money to fund its expenses into 2023 after the midterm elections. This is about paying debt accumulated by both parties. So I'm pleased Republicans and Democrats came together to facilitate a process that has made addressing the debt ceiling possible. I want to thank the Republican leader and all my Republican colleagues who reached out across the aisle in good faith to bring us to this point. No brinksmanship, no default on the debt, no risk of another recession. Responsible governing has won on this exceedingly important issue. 
Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell struck a deal last week where they attached a rule change to another bill that would allow the debt ceiling resolution to go forward with a simple majority vote instead of the typical 60 votes needed for cloture. This allowed Democrats to avoid a Republican filibuster threat and permitted McConnell to call it a win as he wanted only Democrats to vote for the hike, enabling the GOP to go after Democrats for the debt in the run-up to the 2022 midterms. The debt ceiling resolution will also need to be passed in the House. Well, Senator Joe Manchin met with a bipartisan group of senators this week to discuss how to restore the Senate, including how to make it easier to bring up legislation. The group, which met in Manchin's Senate basement office Monday, included Democratic Senators Tim Kaine and John Tester and GOP senators such as Mike Rounds and Mitt Romney. One idea that was floated during the meeting was getting rid of the 60-vote hurdle on proceeding to legislation, though nothing was decided. Such a change would still require 60 votes to end the debate on legislation. Rounds added that he was supportive of getting rid of the 60-vote threshold for starting debate on a bill, but was that he was very much in favor of maintaining the filibuster required to end the debate on the bill. The meeting comes after The Hill first reported last week that Manchin, who had been vocally opposed to getting rid of the filibuster, was talking with Republicans about smaller rule changes so that could make it easier to get votes on amendments or bills on the floor. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki torn to Fox News hosts and anonymous GOP lawmakers who were outed by the January 6th committee as sending pleading messages to former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows on January 6th. The messages included one by an unidentified GOP lawmaker telling Meadows, quote, the president needs to stop this ASAP and were made public by the January 6th committee Vice Chair Representative Liz Cheney Monday and Tuesday. Here are a few others from Republican members. Quote, it is really bad up here on the Hill. Another one, the president needs to stop this ASAP. Another one, fix this now. Saki also blasted those who appealed to Meadows but were totally silent in the public. Well, it's disappointing and unfortunately not surprising that some of the very same individuals who are willing to warn, condemn, and express horror over what happened on January 6th in private were totally uh, in private were totally silent in public, uh, or even worse, uh, were spreading lies and conspiracy theories and continue to since that time. Well, Fox News hit back at Saki's comments Tuesday by sharing excerpts and tweets showing Ingram. Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, and Brian Kilmeade condemned the riot on their shows on January 6th and 7th. Cheney's comments set off speculation in Washington about the identities of the lawmakers who reached out to Meadows and why the January 6th committee was holding back their identities but teasing their comments. President Joe Biden Tuesday paid tribute to the families who lost loved ones in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting nine years ago, saying the nation owed them action, not prayers. In a video message released by the White House, Biden called the day that 20-year-old Adam Lanza shot and killed 26 people, including 20 children between 6 and 7 years old, and six adult staff members, one of the saddest days that he and Barack Obama were in office. Biden, who was vice president at the time, acknowledged the frustration felt by the families in Newton, Connecticut, as they lobbied to pass stricter gun control laws, but came up short. Sandy Hook was the deadliest mass shooting in an elementary school in U.S. history and the fourth deadliest mass shooting overall. To move bills forward in the legislative process, 10 Republican senators would need to support them, which is unlikely to ask past bills to greatly expand background checks have already stalled in the Senate. Well, it looks like Justin Ellick's in the studio. Is it time for sports? I think it's time for sports. Sports. Uh, I am Justin Ellick here with your early news sports update. A packed slate of basketball and hockey games last night with all five local teams getting a game in. Let's begin at the Garden, where the Knicks fell to the Golden State Warriors 105-96. A packed house was treated to a little slice of history, though, as Warriors point guard Stephen Curry took all but about five minutes to break Ray Allen's record for most three-pointers made all time. The future Hall of Famer passed Allen and set the record at 2,974 three-pointers. Over the bridge in Brooklyn, Kevin Durant led a short-handed Nets team to a thrilling 131-129 victory in overtime over the Toronto Raptors. Both teams get a breather tonight and will be back in action come Thursday. Not a fun night last night for hockey fans in New York as both the Islanders and Rangers suffered losses. The Isles at the hands of the Detroit Red Wings by a score of 2-1, and the Rangers got smothered by the Colorado Avalanche, losing 4-2. Devils fans had a much, much worse time, though, as their team fell hard in Philadelphia by a score of 6-1. The Rangers will try again tonight in Arizona against the Coyotes, with the Devils and Islanders getting the night off. Some concerning news out of the NFL as well this morning, as the Los Angeles Rams have placed nine of their players on the COVID-19 list as of yesterday afternoon. 
including newly acquired star wideout Odell Beckham Jr. The players will have to isolate themselves and produce two negative COVID-19 tests to return to action. They will all most likely miss this Sunday's match. With sports, uh, with your early news sports update, I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Did you ever find out how much, uh, how how long they had to stay out? I know you asked me that earlier. So if they're vaccinated, they have to isolate um, for 24 hours, and then they can produce two negative tests and come back as early as 48 hours if they're asymptomatic. So if they're symptomatic, they have to stay isolated. And uh, but I think either way. Even if they are symptomatic, they can get two negative tests. They can be back for this weekend, but the likelihood of that happening is uh, pretty, pretty slim. Well, I hope it all works out. Justin Alec, thank you very much. Let's look at the weather because uh, I'm tired of this cold, but it looks like it's going to stick around for a little bit. Today, a 20% chance of showers after four increasing clouds with a high near 53. East wind, uh, 6 to 10 miles an hour, becoming southeast in the afternoon. Tonight, a 40% chance of showers mainly before midnight. Cloudy with a low around 50. Southeast wind, 7 to 10 miles per hour, becoming southwest after midnight. Thursday, mostly cloudy with a high near 63. Southwest wind, 10 to 15 miles an hour with gusts as high as 26. Tomorrow night, or Thursday, yeah, tomorrow night, a slight chance of the showers between 10 and 2, mostly cloudy with a low around 52. Southwest wind around 10 miles per hour. Chance of rain is about 20%. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 60. So so Friday looks like it's going to be the best day of the week. All right, here's a look at the markets. Inflation still affecting your money. The Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P all closed lower yesterday with financial companies posting that the only gain among 11 major industries. Treasury two yields top about 0.65%, while the U.S. dollar rose, oil and gold retreated. Well, prices at the wholesale level surged by a record of 9.6% in November from the year earlier and another sign of the ongoing inflation pressure that's hurting President Joe Biden's approval ratings. The Department of Labor Tuesday said that the U.S. producer price index, which measures inflation before it reaches consumers, rose about 0.8% in November after a 0.6% monthly gain in October. Despite the inflation problem, President Biden has been optimistic that prices will soon decrease. Every other aspect of the economy is racing ahead. It's doing incredibly well. We've never had this kind of growth in 60 years. But inflation is affecting people's lives. But if you take a look at it, if, you, if we were, if and when, God willing, we get the Build Back Better proposal, if you look at what, what, what's inflation all about for people, they're paying more for things they need than they had to pay before. That's the bottom line. Well, the annual gain set a new record, surpassing the old record for 12-month increases of 8.6% set in both October, uh, September and October. The records on wholesale prices go back to 2010. Well, Elon Musk yesterday said that Tesla will accept Dogecoin as payment for some of its merchandise, sending the meme coin soaring by 33% in the space of two hours. Tesla will make some merch buyable with Doge and see how it goes, Musk tweeted following a poll, which 78% of his followers said, He should. Dogecoin, originally created as a satirical joke currency, raced up to 21 cents after the tweet. Musk's tweets on the cryptocurrency, including the one where he called it, quote, the people's crypto, have helped it surge nearly 6,000% over the past year. Well, here's a look at your stories from around the block. New York City is already struggling to regain the jobs it lost amid the COVID-19 pandemic, and fears are now mounting that Governor Kathy Hochul's new workplace mask mandate could slow the Big Apple's recovery even more. The city's current unemployment rate of 9.4% is more than double the national average of 4.2%, the latest state and federal data show. While the U.S. added nearly 6 million jobs in the past year, the state latest state data showed the Big Apple's economic recovery lagged considerably behind other big cities with just 174,000 jobs regained in the previous 12 months through October. The lack of significant portion of the usual tourists and Manhattan's 1 million office workers has contributed to how severely the city's hospitality and retail industries have been ravaged by the pandemic. Center for New York City Affairs economist James Parrott told the New York Times that the city has regained fewer than six out of every 10 jobs it lost since early 2020. By comparison, the country over Overall, has regained more than 90% of its jobs lost. Well, more out of Governor Hochul. Hochul all but admitted Tuesday that New York City doesn't need her controversial mask mandate due to its success in battling the COVID-19 pandemic. During a news briefing in Manhattan, Hochul was asked about the state data showing that New York City has the lowest rate of disease transmission in the state and whether she'd consider a more, quote, targeted approach to forced mask wearing. There's very little difference between what we're doing and what New York City has already done. In fact, New York City 
doesn't offer the mask man option. So if New York City had been had not had taken their own steps, then we would have absolutely had that surgical approach. And I would have looked at the numbers and seeing bed capacity, which is pretty good here in New York City, watching that closely. Infections were not high. So, yes, but it didn't make a difference because they already had a more restrictive requirement in place. So at that point, it just made sense. The governor then made an apparent reference to the surprise December 27th deadline that Mayor de Blasio announced last week for private sector workers to get vaccinated. Masks are now required in city schools on mass transit and in healthcare facilities under orders from de Blasio, said the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the State Department of Health, respectively. Well, county officials statewide opposed to Governor Hochul's mask mandate called it, quote, silly, misguided and unenforceable on Tuesday, with one rejecting it as, quote, Gestapo tactics and another saying we're not going to become the mask police. Here's Hochul when she made the mandate announcement last week. I don't want to go back ever again to that place where people couldn't go to their jobs safely, couldn't congregate, kids couldn't go to schools. That isolation had a devastating effect on the human condition, and we're still dealing with the fallout today. So to avoid that situation, I today am announcing that we are enacting a statewide indoor mask mandate unless a business has a vaccination mandate. Well, since Hochul announced her order on Friday, leaders in 13 Republican-controlled counties have publicly refused to force businesses that don't require vaccination for admittance to make workers, customers, and visitors wear masks. The defiant counties, along with Nassau County, where incoming Republican County Executive-elect Bruce Blakeman has said he'll defy the mandate, account for nearly one quarter of all the state's territories, not including the five boroughs of New York City. In addition to Nassau, four other counties, Rockland, Orange, Putnam, and Dutchess are among Big Apple's suburbs. Well, State Attorney General Letitia James's re-election bid to remain the state's top lawyer has cleared the once-crowded Democratic primary field. As several candidates announced Monday, they're calling it quits. James dropped out of the governor's race last week, a surprising move after spending barely two months on the campaign trail. Two declared candidates for AG State Assemblyman Clyde Vannell of Queens and former superintendent of New York's Department of Financial Services Maria Vullo announced that they will suspend their campaigns and instead back James for the job. Their exits follow the... For that of Fordham University law professor and 2014 failed gubernatorial candidate Zephyr Teachout, who Sunday said she too would end her campaign in light of James's decision. State Senator Shelley Meyer and ex-federal prosecutor Daniel Goldman also ended their short-lived candidacies after James's re-entry. Well, New York City's indoor COVID-19 vaccine mandate went into effect yesterday, including the expansion of the requirement to children who are eligible to receive the shot. Mayor de Blasio announced that kids ages 5 to 11 must now show proof of one coronavirus vaccination dose to eat indoors at a restaurant, see a show, go to a movie theater, attend a party venue like Chuck E. Cheese, or enter a fitness facility or any other indoor entertainment venue. Already we've gotten over 127,000 New York City kids in that age range vaccinated. That's great. It's a little over 19% of all the kids in that group. Considering it's brand new, that's good, and it's better than the national rate, but it's not enough, obviously. We need to see a lot more. We need to see kids getting vaccinated in that age group. Parents, we need you to step up for the good of your children, your family, all of us. Go get your child vaccinated. So we're going to include them in the Key to NYC, uh, the guidelines for Key to NYC, starting on December 14th. Previously, kids under 12 were able to accompany vaccinated adults in places where proof of inoculation against COVID-19 is compulsory to enter. In August, de Blasio first launched the key to New York City vaccine mandate for adults at many indoor venues, and enforcement of the program took effect to September 13th, prompting few fines. Well, Cornell University has closed its main campus amid an outbreak of COVID-19's Omicron variant. Officials yesterday said that a, quote, substantial number of students infected with the coronavirus at the Ivy League school's upstate Ithaca campus have the strain. University President Martha Pollack says the university is now on an alert level red in response to the rapid spread and immediately closed libraries, canceled sporting events, and moved all final exams online. With final exams for the semester already underway, the school's professors are scrambling to reschedule and digitize tests. The university assured students that the Omicron variant is believed to be the ca- cause milder cases of COVID-19, but warned that it also may likely be more transmissible than early variants. Visitors have been banned from stepping foot on campus, and all students have been urged to stay within the town and get tested. 
All right, here's your weather for the next few days. Today, a high, a 20% chance of showers after 4, increasing clouds with a high near 53. Wind 6 to 10 miles an hour to the east, becoming southeast in the afternoon. Tonight, a 40% chance of showers mainly before midnight. Cloudy with a low around 50. Southwest wind about 10 miles an hour, becoming southwest after midnight. Thursday, mostly cloudy with a high near 63. Southwest wind 10 to 15 miles an hour with gusts as high as 26. Thursday night, a slight chance of showers between 10 and 2 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 52. Chance of rain is roughly around 20%. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 60. Friday night, rain likely mainly after 10 p.m., cloudy with a low around 53. Chance of rain is roughly around 70%. Saturday morning, it's going to be a little chilly, high near 48 well, researchers from Boston University say that ex-NFL player Philip Adams had an unusually severe levels of CTE when he killed six people in April before turning the gun on himself. Adams played 78 NFL games for six different teams across six seasons before retiring in 2015. In April, he shot and killed Dr. Robert Leslie, his wife Barbara, two of their grandchildren, and two HVAC workers at the Leslie home in South Carolina. There's no motive for the attack, and the only connection between them was that they lived close to each other. At a press conference Tuesday, researchers from Boston University confirmed that he had stage 2 CTE and was severe in both his frontal lobes. Philip Adams had frontal lobe atrophy as evidenced by enlarged frontal horns and lateral ventricles. He also had a large uh, cavum septum pellucidum with atrophy of the fornices and microscopically... He had very dense and extensive tau pathology in a pattern and distribution diagnostic of stage 2 CTE. The only other person with such severe CTE was Aaron Hernandez, this disgraced Patriots player who was convicted of a double murder, then killed himself in prison in 2017. Well, up next, your top five at 5.30. We will be right back. It's the WABC Early News on 77 WABC. Good morning, everyone. I'm Frank Diaz, and welcome to 77 WABC Early News. Here's your top five at 530. It's the top five at 530. I love that sound. Well, Mayor-elect Eric Adams has tapped Nassau County Chief of Detectives Keychance Sewell as the first female police commissioner of the NYPD. A stunning close-to-home pick from a field of seasoned top women cops across the country. Sewell's nomination comes at a crossroads in New York City over a sharp rise in street violence and years of anti-cop reforms. Well, New York's top ethics panel Tuesday ordered disgraced ex-governor Andrew Cuomo to pay the state $5.1 million in book profits he made on the backs of taxpayers amid the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping will hold a virtual summit Wednesday following separate sit-downs with President Biden in recent weeks. According to the Kremlin, the two leaders will discuss ongoing tensions in Eastern Europe amid a massive buildup of Russian forces along its border with the Ukraine. The UN report reveals that the Taliban have beheaded or hanged dozens of prisoners and publicly displayed their bodies in extrajudicial killings. The report said the militant group has also been recruiting child soldiers and has been quashing women's rights since taking power in Afghanistan in August. O.J. Simpson's now a free man. A Nevada State Police spokeswoman says a 74-year-old former football hero and actor was granted good behavior credits and discharged from parole effective December 1st. Well, back to those stories, Mayor-elect. Eric Adams has tapped Nassau County Chief of Detectives Keechan Sewell as the first female police commissioner of the NYPD. Sewell's nomination comes at a crossroads in New York City over a rise in violence and years of anti-cop reforms. Here's Sewell describing her experiences as an officer after being promoted to Nassau County's PD's Chief of Detectives last year. It makes me feel wonderful as an officer. Um, again, I, I think the word that just keeps coming back to me is humbling. As I went through the process of applicant investigation and saw the tradition and the richness and the, the level of commitment to this department, I, I, I had to join. And when I did, it, it was absolutely the best decision. I firmly believe that there is nothing that we can't do. There's no ceiling we can't shatter. There's no door we can't kick open. I truly believe that if seeing what I've been able to accomplish translates to inspiration for anyone else, then that's all I could ever ask for. 
Sewell will be the first woman to take charge of the department in its 176 years. According to the New York Post, the surprise choice of the 49-year-old from Long Island, who has led just 351 uniformed officers for the past 15 months, was a gut choice for Adams. Sources say he had favored her for months since the hunt began for the next leader of the largest police force in the country with more than 52,000 members. New York's top ethics panel Tuesday ordered disgraced ex-governor Andrew Cuomo to pay the state $5.1 million in the book profits he made on the backs of taxpayers amid the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic. The resolution was approved by the Joint Commission on Public Ethics in, in a 12 to 1 vote a month after the ethics agency voted to revoke its prior approval, allowing Cuomo to earn outside income from his book, American Crisis Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic, while he was still governor and New York was in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak. We will make mistakes in life. We try not to, but we do. The key is to be strong and secure enough to admit your mistakes and admit your shortcomings. Don't get defensive. Denying the mistake only assures repeating the mistake. We've made mistakes during COVID. I wrote a book on the lessons to be learned from the COVID crisis. The lone dissenter was William Fisher, who was a Cuomo appointee. Jacob rescinded its approval after concluding that Cuomo violated pledges not to use state resources or government staffers to prepare the book. He must pay the money by the state by next month. The resolution drafted by Commissioner David McNamara, a Senate Republican appointee, said Cuomo now, quote, lacked the legal authority to engage in outside activity and receive compensation in regard to the book since Jacob rescinded the approval. Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping will hold a virtual summit today following a separate sit-downs of President Biden in recent weeks. According to the Kremlin, the two leaders will discuss ongoing tensions in Eastern Europe amid the buildup of Russian forces along the Ukraine border. Both Moscow and Beijing have come to blows with Washington in recent weeks. While the Ukraine issue dominated a virtual meeting between Biden and Putin last week, the U.S. and China have exchanged sharper words on topics including Beijing's territorial claims in the South China Sea and the status of Taiwan, with the Chinese government warning of a face-off over the issue in October. During last week's virtual meeting, Biden told Putin that any further incursion into Ukraine will be met with quote, strong economic measures from the U.S. and its European allies, emphasizing that Washington is prepared to take steps now that it did not take in 2014 when Russia took over Crimea. Well, a U.N. report reveals that the Taliban have beheaded or hanged dozens of prisoners and publicly displayed their bodies in extrajudicial killings. The report said the militant group has also been recruiting child soldiers and has been quashing women's rights and taking power in Afghanistan in August. The U.N. added that more than 100 former Afghan National Security Forces and others have been killed since the takeover. The U.N. Deputy High Commissioner for Human Rights said that in addition, at least 50 suspected members of the Islamic State Khorasan province, an ideological foe of the Taliban, were killed by hanging and beheading. At least eight Afghan activists and two journalists have been killed since August, while the U.N. has also documented 59 unlawful detentions and threats to their ranks. Well, today, for your weather, a 20% chance of showers after 4 o'clock, increasing clouds with a high near 53. East wind, 6 to 10 miles an hour before coming southeast in the afternoon. Tonight, a 40% chance of showers mainly before midnight. Cloudy with a low around 50. Southeast wind, 7 to 10 miles an hour becoming southwest after midnight. Thursday, mostly cloudy with a high near 63. Southwest wind, 10 to 15 miles an hour with gusts as high as 26. Thursday night, a slight chance of showers between 10 and 2. Mostly cloudy with a low around 52. Southwest wind around 10 miles an hour with gusts as high as 20. Chance of rain, about 20%. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 60, so it's going to be a really beautiful day. West wind, 7 to 10 miles an hour. Friday night, rain likely mainly after 10 o'clock. Cloudy with a low around 43. Chance of precipitation is around 70%. New rain amounts to less of that and of a less than a tenth of an inch possible. Saturday, rain high near 48. Well, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows has now become the second Trump insider to be referred to the Justice Department for Criminal Contempt of Congress. The full House vote came after the House Select Committee unanimously voted in favor Monday of holding Meadows in contempt of Congress for failing to appear for a deposition with the Select Committee. It's now up to the Justice Department to decide if it will pursue criminal charges against ex-President Trump's former chief of staff. Despite the outcome, Meadows, on an appearance on Newsmax, became emotional, saying he was grateful for his colleagues supporting him. The legal argument on our side is strong, and yet this is these are political times, and, and candidly, uh, I just am very thankful for the millions of Americans across the country that have 
talk to me about their prayers and their support mm -hmm. uh, and my colleagues on the House floor fighting. Uh, it, is, it is extremely humbling and touching. Meadows has consistently insisted he wants to shield some of his conversations with the former president under claims of executive privilege, but has already handed over thousands of documents, which the panel says only adds to the need for him to testify. The House voted to refer contempt of Congress against former White House advisor Steve Bannon in late October. Bannon was indicted by the Justice Department a month later and pleaded not guilty. Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters on Tuesday that the White House intends to commemorate the anniversary of the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Those specifics are still in the works. President to the president, January 6th was uh, one of the darkest days in our democracy. Uh, it was a day that our, our capital, our nation's capital, was under attack. And I think there's no question you'll see us commemorate that day. It's been nearly a year since hundreds of pro-Trump rioters overwhelmed law enforcement and stormed the Capitol complex to try and halt the certification of President Biden's electoral victory. Multiple people died in the chaos and several were injured, including Capitol Police officers. Dozens have been prosecuted for storming the Capitol and the attack is under investigation by a select House committee. That has interviewed numerous figures connected to the day's events, including a rally near the White House that preceded the riots. Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine earlier Tuesday filed a federal lawsuit against far-right groups Proud Boys and Oath Keepers over their role in the January 6th attack. Biden has regularly referred to the, to the riots at the Capitol on January 6th as a dark day in the nation's history, and he has praised the courage of law enforcement officers who worked to secure the building that day. Well, Saki also tore into Fox News hosts and anonymous GOP lawmakers who were outed by the January 6th committee as sending pleading tech messages to former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows on January 6th. The messages included one by an unidentified GOP lawmaker telling Meadows the president needs to stop this ASAP and were made public by the January 6th committee, Vice Chair Representative Liz Cheney, on Monday and Tuesday. Here are a few others from Republican members. Quote, it is really bad up here on the Hill. Another one, the president needs to stop this ASAP. Another one, fix this now. Saki also blasted those who appealed to Meadows but were totally silent in the public. Fox News hit back at Saki's comments on Tuesday by sharing excerpts and tweets showing Ingram, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity and Brian Kilmeade condemned the riot on their shows on January 6th and 7th. Cheney's comments set off speculation in Washington about the identities of the lawmakers who reached out to Meadows and why the January 6th committee was holding back their identities but teasing the comments. Well, the Biden administration is preparing for an explosion of Omicron cases that they believe will result in a flood of sick Americans going into the already overburdened hospital system. Everything points to a large wave. A large wave is coming, a senior administration official and President Biden's uh, White House told Axios. The official, however, expressed hope that the cases wouldn't be as severe as previous COVID variants, including Delta, as the White House continues to push booster shots as the best precaution. The CDC Tuesday said Omicron now makes up 3% of all new U.S. infections and has been detected in 33 U.S. states, including Alaska and Washington, D.C. In New York and New Jersey, 13% of new cases have been caused by the new strain. California bought back its mask mandate for all indoor places across the state on Monday, joining New York, who did the same last week. In Philadelphia, residents must now show proof of vaccination to enter bars and restaurants like in New York City. The U.S. is currently averaging about 120,000 cases a day, a 49% increase over the past two weeks. Hospitalizations are rising as well, with an average of 66,000 Americans receiving treatment every day, a 22% increase over the past two weeks. Meanwhile, the total number of known coronavirus cases in the United States surpassed the 50 million mark on Monday, and the death toll is rapidly approaching more than 800,000. Well, Democratic mayors are raising eyebrows with their responses to the rising crime plaguing major cities like New York, Chicago, and Philadelphia. The U.S. murder rate rose 30 percent between 2019 and 2020, according to the FBI, the largest annual increase on record with Chicago topping the list. At least 12 major cities, including New York, have already set historical murder records this year. Robberies and assaults are also on the rise, and retailers in major cities across the country are reporting an uptick in organized smash-and-grab crimes during the busy holiday shopping season. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot faced criticism last week after she responded to the recent flood of robberies in her city by blaming retailers for not better protecting their merchandise. 
Some of the retailers downtown in Michigan Avenue, I will tell you, I'm disappointed that they're not doing more to take safety uh, and make it a priority. For example, we still have retailers that won't institute uh, plans like having security officers in their stores, uh, locking up uh, their merchandise at night, chaining high-end bags. These purses seem to be something um, that is attracting a lot of attention on these organized retail uh, theft units. During an appearance on Fox News Sunday over the weekend, Mayor de Blasio defended the mandate and claimed the city is much safer now than it was when he took the reins eight years ago, despite the fact that murders in the city skyrocketed last year and have remained high so far in 2021. Well, 77 WABC News Time, 545. The great Justin Ellick has entered the studio, and that means he's doing sports. What's going on, Justin? Great indeed there, Frank. Thank you very much. I am Justin Ellick with your early news sports update, a packed slate of basketball and hockey games last night with all five local teams getting a game in. Let's begin at the Garden, where the Knicks fell to the Golden State Warriors 105-96. to A packed house at the Garden, which treated to a little slice of history, though, as Warriors point guard Stephen Curry took all but about five minutes to break Ray Allen's record for most three-pointers made all time. Future Hall of Famer passed Allen and set the record at 2,974 three-pointers. Over the bridge in Brooklyn, Kevin Durant led a shorthanded Nets team to a thrilling 131-129 overtime victory over the Toronto Raptors. Both teams get a breather tonight and will be back in action come Thursday. Not a fun night last night for hockey fans in New York as both the Islanders and Rangers suffered losses. The Isles at the hands of the Detroit Red Wings by a score of 2-1 and the Rangers got smothered by the Colorado Avalanche losing 4-2. Devils fans had it much, much worse, though, as their team fell hard in Philadelphia by a score of 6-1. to one. The Rangers will try again tonight in Arizona against the Coyotes, with the Devils and Islanders getting the night off. Some concerning news out of the NFL as well this morning, as the Los Angeles Rams have placed nine of their players on the COVID-19 list as of yesterday afternoon, including newly acquired star whiteout Odell Beckham Jr., the players will have to isolate themselves for 24 hour, at least 24 hours and produce two negative COVID-19 tests to return to action for as early as this weekend's game. With your early news sports update, I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Executive producer of Bernie and Sid of the Morning, Justin Ellick, thank you very much. All right, here's a look at your weather today. A 20% chance of showers after 4 p.m., increasing clouds at the high near 53. East winds 6 to 10 miles an hour, becoming southwest later this afternoon. Tonight, a 40% chance of showers mainly before midnight. Cloudy with a low around 50. Southeast winds 7 to 10 miles an hour, becoming southwest after midnight. Thursday, mostly cloudy with a high near 63. Southwest wind 10 to 15 miles an hour with gusts as high as 26. Thursday night, a slight chance of showers between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 52. Southwest wind around 10 miles an hour with gusts as high as 20. A chance of rain about 20%. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 60. West wind 7 to 10 miles an hour. Friday night, rain likely mainly after 10 p.m. Cloudy with a low around 43. Chance of precipitation is about 70%. New rain amounts to less than a tenth of an inch possible. Saturday, rain a high near 48. Here's a look at the markets. Inflation is still affecting your money. The Dow, NASDAQ, and S&P all closed lower yesterday, with financial companies posting the only gain among 11 major industries. The Treasury two-yields topped at uh, just about uh, two-thirds of a percent, while the U.S. dollar rose, oil and gold retreated. Prices at the wholesale level surged by a record 9.6% in November from a year earlier, and another sign of the ongoing inflation pressure that's hurting President Biden's approval ratings. The Department of Labor Tuesday said the U.S. producer price index, which measures inflation before it reaches consumers, rose a little bit less than a percent in November after a 0.6% monthly gain back in October. Despite the inflation problem, President Biden has been optimistic that prices will soon decrease for consumers. Every other aspect of the economy is racing ahead. It's doing incredibly well. We've never had this kind of growth in 60 years. But inflation is affecting people's lives. But if you take a look at it, if, you, if we were, if and when, God willing, we get the Build Back Better proposal, if you look at what, what, what's inflation all about for people, they're paying more for things they need than they had to pay before. That's the bottom line. 
The annual gain set a new record, surpassing the old records for 12-month increases of 8.6% set in both September and October. The records on wholesale prices go back to 2010. Well, Elon Musk yesterday said that Tesla will accept Dogecoin as payment for some of its merchandise, sending the meme coin soaring by about 33% in the space of two hours. Tesla will make some merch buyable with Doge and see how it goes, Musk tweeted following a poll which 78% of his followers said that he should. Dogecoin originally created as a satirical joke currency raced up to 21 cents after the tweet. Musk tweets on the cryptocurrency, including the one where he called it the people's crypto, have helped it surge nearly 6,000% over the past year. Here's a look at your stories from around the block. New York City is already struggling to regain the jobs it lost amid the COVID-19 pandemic, and fears are now mounting that Governor Kathy Hochul's new workplace mask mandate could slow the Big Apple's recovery even more. The city's current unemployment rate of 9.4% is more than double the national average of 4.2%, the latest state and federal data show. While the U.S. added nearly 6 million jobs in the past year, the the latest state data shows that Big Apple's economic recovery lagged considerably behind other big cities with just 174,000 jobs regained in the 12 previous months through October. A lack of significant portion of the usual tourists and Manhattan's one million office workers has contributed to how severely the city's hospitality and retail industries have been ravaged by the pandemic. Center for New York City Affairs economist James Parrott told the New York Times that the city has regained fewer than six out of every 10 jobs since it lost since early 2020. By comparison, the country overall has regained more than 90 percent of its jobs. Moreover, Governor Hochul She all but admitted Tuesday that New York City doesn't need her controversial mask mandate due to the success in battling the COVID-19 pandemic. During a news briefing in Manhattan, Hochul was asked about the state data showing that New York City had the lowest rate of disease transmission and whether she'd consider a more targeted approach to forced mask wearing. There's very little difference between what we're doing and what New York City has already done. In fact, New York City doesn't offer the mask man option. So... If New York City had been had not had taken their own steps, then we would have absolutely had that surgical approach. And I would have looked at the numbers and seeing bed capacity, which is pretty good here in New York City, watching that closely. Infections were not high. So, yes, but it didn't make a difference because they already had a more restrictive requirement in place. So at that point, it just made sense. Well, the governor then made an apparent reference to the surprise December 27th deadline that Mayor de Blasio announced last week for private sector workers to get vaccinated. Masks are now required in the city uh, on in schools, on mass transit, and in healthcare facilities under the orders from de Blasio, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the State Department of Health, respectively. County officials statewide opposed to Governor Hochul's mask mandate called it silly, misguided, and unenforceable on Tuesday, with one rejecting it as Gestapo tactics and another saying, we're not going to become the mask police. Here's Hochul when she made the mandate announcement last week. I don't want to go back ever again to that place where people couldn't go to their jobs safely, couldn't congregate, kids couldn't go to schools. That isolation had a devastating effect on the human condition, and we're still dealing with the fallout today. So to avoid that situation, I today am announcing that we are enacting a statewide indoor mask mandate unless a business has a vaccination mandate. Since Ockel announced her order on Friday, leaders in 13 Republican-controlled counties have publicly refused to force businesses that don't require vaccination for admittance to make workers, customers, and visitors wear masks. The defiant counties, along with Nassau County, where incoming Republican County Executive-elect Bruce Blakeman has said he'll defy the mandate, only account only for nearly one quarter of all the state's territories, not including the five boroughs of New York City. In addition to Nassau, four other counties, including Rockland, Orange, Putnam, and Dutchess, are among the Big Apple suburbs. Well, State Attorney General Letitia James's re-election bid to remain the state's top lawyer has cleared the once-crowded Democratic primary field as several candidates announced Monday that they're calling it quits. James dropped out of the governor's race last week, a surprising move after barely spending two months on the campaign trail. Two declared candidates for AG, State Assemblyman Clyde Vanell of Queens and former Superintendent of New York's Department of Financial Services, Maria Volo, announced that they will suspend their campaigns and instead back James for the job. Their exits follow that of Fordham University 
University law professor and 2014 failed gubernatorial candidate Zephyr Teachout, who Sunday said she too would end her campaign in light of James's decision. State Senator Shelley Meyer and ex-federal prosecutor Daniel Goldman also ended their short-lived candidacies after James's reentry. New York City's indoor COVID-19 vaccine mandate went into effect yesterday, including the expansion of the requirement to children who are eligible to receive a shot. Mayor de Blasio announced that kids ages 5 to 11 must now show proof of one coronavirus vaccination dose to eat indoors at a restaurant, see a show, go to a movie theater, attend a party venue like Chuck E. Cheese or enter a fitness facility or any other indoor entertainment venue. Already we've gotten over 127,000 New York City kids in that age range vaccinated. That's great. It's a little over 19% of all the kids in that group. Considering it's brand new, that's good and it's better than the national rate, but it's not enough, obviously. We need to see a lot more. We need to see kids getting vaccinated in that age group. Parents, we need you to step up for the good of your children, your family, all of us. Go get your child vaccinated. So we're going to include them in the key to NYC, uh, the guidelines for key to NYC, starting on December 14th. Previously, kids under 12 were also able to accompany unvaccinated adults in places where proof of inoculation against COVID is compulsory to enter. In August, de Blasio first launched the Key to New York City vaccine mandate for adults at many indoor venues, and enforcement of the program took effect September 13th, prompting few fines. Well, Cornell University has closed its main campus amid an outbreak of COVID-19's Omicron variant. Officials yesterday said that a substantial number of students infected with the coronavirus at the Ivy League school's upstate Ithaca campus have the strain. University President Martha Pollack says the university is now on alert level red in response to the rapid spread and immediately closed libraries, canceled sporting events, and moved all final exams online. With final exams for the semester underway, the school's professors are scrambling to reschedule and digitize tests. The university assured students that the Omicron variant is believed to cause milder cases of COVID-19, but warned it also may be likely more transmissible than earlier variants. Visitors have been banned from stepping foot on the campus, and all students have been urged to stay within the town and get tested. All right, well, let's get one good look at your weather, even though it might not be that great for the next few days. Today, 20% chance of showers, increasing clouds of the high near 53. East winds 6 to 10 miles an hour becoming southeast southeast in the afternoon. Tonight, a 40% chance of rain, mainly before midnight, cloudy with a low around 50. Southeast wind 7 to 10 miles an hour becoming southwest after midnight. Thursday, mostly cloudy at the high near 63. Southwest wind 10 to 15 miles an hour with gusts as high as 26. Tomorrow night, a slight chance of showers between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 52. Southwest wind is around 10 p.m. with its gusts as high as 20. Chance of rain is about 20%. Friday, mostly sunny with a high near 60. West wind 7 to 10 miles an hour. Friday night, most likely some rain after 10 o'clock, cloudy with a low around 43. Chance of rain is roughly 70%. Saturday, rain, a high near 48, so make sure you got a jacket Saturday because it's going to be a sunny weekend. No, it's not going to be sunny. It's going to be rainy. I just said that. Chance of precipitation is about 80%. All right. Well, it looks like that's about all the time we have. Sid, Ro- Sid Rosenberg just walked into the room and started shouting like a madman like he normally does. Well, thank you for joining me on 77 WABC Early News. I'm Frank Diaz. I'll be back tomorrow morning. You've been great. I've been awesome. Thank you very much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.